All right. Well, Tom, man, it's great to connect with you again, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show today. Awesome. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. So obviously we got connected via LinkedIn of all places, of course, uh, in this day and age. And so when we got to talking, I realized, man, there's so much I could learn from this guy. I need to pause this conversation and put this into a podcast because there's plenty of other dads or parents that probably have the same questions about technology and kids that I figured I could run it with you. So, but I'd love to get, love to get started briefly, maybe just a quick intro bio on yourself. Let the listeners know a little bit about you and, and what you're up to now as CTO. Yeah, sure. So uh, Tom Roberto, I'm, I'm the chief technology officer for a company called SG Network Services. We do technology installation around the US and Canada. And I also have kind of a self-branded marketing kind of ploy called tech shamanism that I call myself the technology shaman. And I'm all over LinkedIn promoting this kind of mentality. I'm into technology. I've been involved in technology my whole career. And uh, that's kind of me. So yes, I was curious, this tech shamanism, I've seen it. I know you've done a couple different presentations across different schools. Yep. I think the university is the last yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, I, I went to college and stuff, yeah. Yeah, what is it? Tell me more. I got this whole thing going a few years ago, several years ago, actually. And like, I was born in the 1980s. It dawned on me at some point that like, I'm the last generation that will remember what the world looked like before the internet. Like everybody after us, had the internet, right? Or had mobile phones or whatever. And like, we just played outside and we're like left to our own devices, right? Oh, isn't that so crazy to think about? It is. It's an insane thing to think about. Like you're the last of a generation that's going to, that's going to grow up the way everybody else did before you. Like, it's so weird to think. So I don't know what it was. Like, I've always been complimented throughout my career on like, man, you're really creative and, and you apply things in different ways. And I've kind of attributed it to the fact that I knew what it was like when I was a kid before this. So I kind of extrapolate things from that point. Like that's just who we are, right? And it dawned on me, I'm like, yeah, it's a lot like a shaman, right? Like you don't know what the shaman is doing. They're just making this magic happen, eating bark and doing this and doing that. But they know something about it that somebody else didn't, right? It was generational knowledge that was passed down. And it kind of just, it sparked something in me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try to make this into something. It's been many years. I don't know how great I've been at, at promoting it, but a lot of people that hear it, like it definitely strikes a chord for sure. Yeah, you saying that though just made me think, and you know, the nostalgia back to those you know days. I, I was born in '88, so like don't, even yeah. though I was in the '80s, I was pretty young. But yeah, before the internet, yeah, I was thinking about screen time the other day and you know my daughter and everybody's always worried about you know what's the proper way to do it do you do it with an ipad do you let them have it at the dinner table or when you go out to a restaurant or you know what's right what's wrong i'm I'm not here to tell anybody what the proper approach is there but it had me thinking the tv that i had to turn on when i was growing up like you literally had to go physically get up and go turn the knob yeah, you know, it was like Monday Night Football was yeah. on a screen smaller than the one I'm looking at today. And, uh, you know, it's just like now, like, did they even have to think about that? Did they worry about that? I'm sure they did. But man, it's just so much more with the Vision Pro coming out next month. It's like we were told, don't get too close to the TV now. Yeah, it's, right, it's right in front of your face, right? Like I always think about the car rides too. Like remember being in the car and like there was a toy that I don't even think I had one, but it was like one of those little like ring toss games where you press the button, they go through the water. And it was like, that was the toy that you took in the car to kind of like pass time. And now everybody's got iPads and they're worried about connectivity and like, can I stream YouTube? And you're like, man, I was in the car looking out the window. You know, like it's such a different experience now for kids that it's almost mind boggling to think what they're like, how they're going to be when they're adults, right? 
Yeah. How do you think about that in the home? You've got little ones. And so what yeah, you- I have, I have a nine-year-old son. He's really into like STEM and science and things like that. I, I'm an engineer by trade, right? So like, I'm sure a lot of that came from me, but there yeah. was also, we built a level on our house in 2018 and he was in kindergarten. So it really changed him and like shaped his mentality on like building and what was inside of a house. And like, I was the electrician on the job. So we got to see all the wires and things like that. And it really changed him. He's been saying forever, like, I want to be a builder. And I'm like, dude, do it. You know, like that's something that's lost on kids nowadays. They all want to be programmers and create apps. And he wants to like build houses. And I'm like, that's awesome. So yeah, I mean, technology in our house, like I've tried to limit it because I just feel very strongly that at a young age, you know, prior to like 10, 12, 13, like they're just not developmentally ready for some of this stuff. So I've tried Mm. to pump the brakes as much as I can, but obviously he's got an iPad. We're an Apple house. He's on YouTube, you know, things like that. Now kids are starting to text one another and he's on group chats and they play Fortnite. And like, I've, I've put him on the, the Nintendo switch on that. So like, there's just, I'm being forced to do it. And I'm like, okay, well let's take the next step and take the next step. But I'm trying to like pump the brakes as much as I can. Cause I want him to get the experience of life before it's like life online. Right. Hmm. Life before it's life online. That's a good one. You know, it feels like that happens younger and younger with each generation, each different, you know, I have, he has friends. I I know you have little ones too, right? Like, so like you, you look at their friends and the problem is you can't control everybody else. Right. Like I love these guys that are like, we're going to block everything at home and we're just going to like, you know, I'll filter the internet and you go, yeah, but they're going to go to a friend's house. So what are you going to do when they go to the friend's house? Right. So you have little ones, I'm sure. I'd love to know what what you're doing too, because it's an interesting topic that seems to get polarizing at times, but it's one of those things where I feel like it's the one thing that we can do as parents is to prep them for what life is going to be like. But then we were having a conversation about your company and I said, you know, they're going to be using technology to get their first job. So like, I don't want them to be so out of touch that they don't know how to use it or they don't understand what, what it's like to actually use technology as a tool because I feel like even building houses, he'll have to have a hell of a website first, right? <laughs> like, That's exactly right. And you don't want them to be left behind. You know, no. we, you asked the question and, and we don't, we've done so far, you know, we don't really do screen time outside of, you know, watching a movie, you know, sure. don't get me wrong. There's plenty of, of Disney movies that, that we'll put throughout the house. But as far as the iPad, you know, we've used one once for a long road trip. Outside of that, they're two and four. I mean, they're still yeah, so yeah. young still that- young you know, they don't, they don't need that yet, but it is something that's a, you know, obviously a polarizing topic. And it's so easy now, especially when you're working from home or, you know, you got something to do. It's, it's so convenient (laughs) to be able to just, you know, give them that and watch their favorite show or YouTube or whatever. So it's definitely something that we know as they start to have those sleepovers and and go to friends' houses and, and, you know, they're going to have different experiences and rules and, you know, whatnot. So you can't control it. You just try to do your best to prep them and and do what you think is right at home. And then outside world, they're going to get exposed to it anyways. You can't shield them from it. You just got to have your principles and, and hope that they, you know, adhere to those to the best of your abilities when you're not around. It's about principles, right? Like you nailed it. The Having the right principles and like instilling in them like to be, you know, a good person, to have respect for people and to have respect for communication. Like the one thing I'm trying to teach him is like, look, man, it doesn't go anywhere. So whatever you say in those group chats, even if you think somebody can delete it or you deleted it, it's always there. And I'm I'm getting his mind like into that mentality early so that they're careful. And you know what? He is pretty careful with it. Like I would say he's better than most, I think. But, you know, 
you're a person and you're always going to be curious. So like you hear these stories and you go like, man, kids are going to be kids no matter what you put them on, right? Oh, exactly. They're always going to find a way. But how do you think about that now that they're at the text message stage? Like, do you monitor it all? And you can just, does it go to yours as well? Like, how do you? I have kind of a strong opinion on this and I, I know I'm in the minority. Like, I still think that there's something to be said for respecting privacy and boundaries between a parent and a kid, right? So like, again, looking at it, like from the shaman side, right back in the 80s, It's like, could you imagine if your mom opened your book bag and started reading all the notes that you pass back and forth to kids at school? Like you would be mortified, you know? And it would be like, there still has to be some level of privacy. And I think the flip side of technology is it's given parents a lot more tools where like now you can just flip open and see your kid's whole life right there. I don't know that that's great either because, you know, people are people, kids are going to be kids. So we have more of like an open door type policy where it's like, look, we're going to tell each other things. If something makes him uncomfortable, he knows he can come to me or my wife. We're going to ask him about things and say, hey, you know, what happened here? What happened there? And I think the one thing I've been able to benefit from is we're in a really good town with a lot of great parents and the parents talk. So if we hear one parent say something, they'll say something to somebody else. So again, it comes back to culture and society and like having that right tribe around you. And if everybody's sharing information, you'll get stuff. And I, I've, I've had parents call us out on things and it's like, hey, we heard you know this, that, and the other, and then we'll bring it up. But I'd rather do that and have a conversation than to kind of just start monitoring things. Because I know when I was a kid, if somebody was monitoring my conversations, I would have had a heart attack. <laughs> I don't want to do that to my son. Oh, man. I think about those notes. Yeah, that would be, uh, thank would God, be they terrible. didn't have access to those growing up. Right. But you brought up a good point, and I'm curious to double click on that a little bit because, you know, that privacy piece is not just for you as the parent, but what about being a CTO, right? You've got a high level knowledge engineering wise and just security as a whole. How do you secure their their tablet, their technology? Like, is there something that you do differently than what you do with your own, like a tactical way to make sure that they are being safe or, you know, you think of all these Back in the day, it was like online chat rooms and there was, you know, predators everywhere. So, oh yeah. So how do you do that now? Like starting off at the beginning stages, is it pretty easy or is it? No, I mean, look, it's just as hard as doing it in corporate, right? Like you've, you've worked in tech and corporate and it's like, when you're looking at it from your family, like it's the same thing that you would do in an enterprise. Like you want to use good technology. So, you know, I'm not buying the cheapest things on Amazon. I'm not trusting these little startup companies with a lot of stuff. So, you know, we're an Apple household. I know a lot of people that use Google, you know, Google's another big company. There's a lot of tools there, so that's good. But also just like the apps that they use, like, you know, you hear a lot of stuff about TikTok. And I remember years ago, they had this, this face changing app that was Russian based and they go like, you know, Hey, this thing could be stealing your information. Like I'm very cautious about where we're at. Your information's everywhere, no matter what, right? Like if you give it to Google, if you give it to Facebook, if you're out on Instagram or or TikTok or Snapchat, like the stuff's out there anyway. I think it's about teaching them what to do, what's right and what's wrong. And then also showing them like, this is bad. If you start to see this, come get me and let's look at it together. And I actually have that same mentality at work where like I turn more alerting on with things to give people tools and then say, if you're not sure about an email, escalate it either to your neighbor, to me. And I've literally had people, I come out of a very important board meeting and somebody will be like, hey, I saw this email. I don't know if this is real or fake. And I'm like, thanks for bringing it to me. And I'll give them a totally legit answer because it's like, I'd rather that than they Google it or click on it. And then all of a sudden you've got ransomware on everybody's machine, you know? 
Yeah, that's definitely something I've seen. And, you know, when you get to bigger organizations, they run those like fake phishing schemes just yep. to see who's clicking and who's not. I think I fall prey to those once or twice. But you talk about open conversations too. And I think that's a big part of it to be able to have that open door policy with your children, to be able to start that line of communication and trust to where they can feel comfortable telling you a little bit about yeah. what's going on in their personal lives. And I think it's kind of a lost art in some respects. And, you know, I totally agree with you. It's not necessarily the best at always having, you know, those hard conversations, but we should try to teach those early. Yep. What does that look like for you? Like, how do you actually approach it when you get to a point where you need to address it head on with your son? Yeah. I mean, look, the one thing that I do agree with, our school system actually brought this up and I do agree with this to a certain extent, like because of technology and again, right? Like we grew up in the eighties, you could hide stuff from kids and they wouldn't know, right? Like, uh, I remember the first time I found out that Molly Pitcher or the woman who sewed the American flag, I forget which one of these like old stories we learned in school, it was a made up story. Like it wasn't real. There was no real person. And I remember doing like reports on this person when I was a kid. And then when you were an adult, you looked it up and you're like, holy moly, that's made up. <laughs> like it totally blew my mind. So like I've said this to people and they've argued with me and then we look it up together and they're like, I can't believe I didn't know that until now. So like I had no idea. Yeah. Like, so, so then I, I think Molly Pitcher was real. I think it was the woman that sewed the American flag. Like that story was just made up and it was like an aggregation of many people. So back then my point was like, you know, you could kind of cloak things and nobody would really question it. Cause you have to go to the library, use the Dewey decimal system, get, you know, get in there. Like you remember all this stuff today, they pop open Google or ask Siri and they have the information right at their fingertips. So I feel like as a parent, unfortunately, there's a lot of serious stuff that's going to come at you about adult topics, about relationships, about you know news and, and international situations and cultures that just come up. But you got to be ready to talk about it. So you can't be like, you know, like, look, in a public forum between two people. Yeah, sure. Maybe some of that stuff's still taboo. But I feel like with your family and your kids and like the tribe that you have around you, if you can't talk about that stuff, you're going to be in a world of hurt because otherwise they're going to end up on the Internet on forums looking it up and you don't know who's teaching them what yeah that's isn't that the truth man those forums and they can go deep into the different you know reddit yeah. files and reddit man it's like the last of the wild west i love reddit because it's like the last of the 90s you know like, yeah. that's so true quick distraction but as far as you know you and being where you're at now in tech leadership how do you see it so far? Because I'm sure that you're involved in hiring as well of the next generations and the engineers that you're seeing come out, the people that weren't in the 80s that maybe the 90s, the 2000s yeah. that are oh, yeah. entering the workforce today because yep. they're so different, right? Because they've grown up with it. Are you seeing like some positives about that? Anything in particular that you're most excited about in the next generation as you're hiring younger tech talent that maybe took more years for you to do in your career because of you know how we were brought up? Yeah, I've actually noticed that like, I don't know what the name of the generation is, but like the kids that were born in either the early 2000s, right? So like, if you think about it, somebody born in 2001 is now 23. <laughs> so it's like crazy to think about, right? But like, I'm hiring people that are in their 20s or like, you know, early 30s. And the one thing that I've found with that generation is that because they grew up with more technology, they're a little more apt to say like, I'm not so willing to just use technology. Like, I want to ask a question and understand it more. And like, you almost find that like, they don't want a Facebook profile. They don't want certain things. Now, in other cases, like what's amazing about that is 
they'll think to look up information way faster than I will on the internet. And you'll be like, well, that was smart. I didn't think about that. Because again, like I'm aging, right? I don't think like that right away. They do. So I find that that's an interesting blend. Like they're very tech savvy, but they're not so willing to just trust tech because they've been around it for so long. So I think that that's very interesting. The other thing that I've kind of found universally true is no matter what generation you grew up in, everybody's looking for opportunity. And because of technology, a lot of those opportunities have stopped. Like it used to be when I was a kid, the first job I got, I walked into the store because they, I saw they were hiring with a sign. And then I, I went in and spoke to somebody. Today, that's almost unheard of. Nobody would find a job like that. So those opportunities are a little less. And I feel like they're so hungry for opportunities that there, there is an opportunity as a, as a person hiring to say, maybe I don't just trust the algorithm with who's the best for this job. And I actually want to meet people. Or maybe I'll post something someplace else to see what kind of candidates I get. Because, uh, you know, my wife's in HR and like, she was actually just saying this last night. She posted a job for an analytics position and there were 200 candidates in the first four hours. And she had to like literally turn it off. And you go like, how can you sift through that amount of resumes, right? So it's like the algorithm in that case is just, it's all noise. So I feel like, you know, between them being less apt to just trust tech and then also really hungry for opportunities, you find some really good candidates, you know, like you just have to have, you have to have conversation, I guess is the point. Do you have any favorite interview questions that you like to ask during or anything that come to mind? So this was actually one that I learned. I had been doing interviews for years and we were in an interview and somebody else was in that interview with me and we get through the whole interview. I thought it went fantastic. Person was great. I loved what they said. We, we were gelling with you know, their background, everything. And then the other person said in the, in the interview, it was for a, a help desk position. And they basically just said back the job in like a single sentence. They're like, so if you had to pick up the phone and do X, Y, Z, and, and they laid out the job, and they said, so that's something that definitely interests you. And they were like, oh, no, I would hate that. <laughs> and I, it occurred to me after we, we left the interview and I looked at them and I said, why did you ask that? And he goes, it was the one thing you didn't ask. Like, do they want the job? And I was like, that's an incredible question. Like, I just never thought, like, once they're in the seat, you expect they want the job. Like, you bring it up in every way. But I never just actually said, like, here's the job. Do you want that job? No. <laughs> so from that point on, I kept doing that. And I would do it. And you'd be shocked at how many people at the end of it would go, no, I would hate that. And you're like, oh. Awesome. And you could still end the interview in some cases. I even found them other positions, but like, what a question, right? Like, do you want this job? Man, being in the recruiting profession, the fact that that type of candidate got to you that didn't know what the job was or didn't want to do it, like, yeah. I guess it proves why I have a job. But yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Uh, that's crazy. We get it was a great lesson that I learned, and I, I'll never forget that one. As long as I do interviews now, the last question I ask is always like, here's the job. Do you want that job? Yeah. No. <laughs> I guess if you don't ask, you don't know. That's right. How about generative AI? I'm curious because this is such a hot topic right now. Everybody's you know, using it or saying they're using yep. it. Is it something that you're currently educating yourself on? Is it something that's found its way into your day-to-day -day life yet? Or where does it stand? It has found its way into my day-to-day -day life a bit, obviously, like chat GPT, you know, all, you know, like that kind of stuff, like everybody's using it, right? So like there's a bit of that that goes on. But I think the whole AI movement is happening so fast 
that it's so hard to catch up. Like you don't know where the technology is going to go. And it's amazing the way they apply certain things, right? So like these LLMs and, and some of the machine learning stuff that's happening, like it's moving so quickly. The one thing I had heard, I forget who, who said it was a famous uh, like podcaster or uh, YouTuber. And they were like, look, the first step to this is going to be chat. Then it'll be audio and then it'll be video. Right. And once it gets to video, that's when it changes your life because it'll be fully immersive. You won't be able to tell the difference between real life and what's AI driven. Right. You know, using that as a mindset, like where I think people should go is like it is a tool and it's a lot like the Internet when it first came out. Right. Like people didn't understand it. And even then it took about 10 years. Right. If you think about like the 90s, it took about 10 years for it to really become like a business tool. I think today, like AI, it's been around for what? in reality, like two, three years, maybe. And now you're seeing businesses apply like chat learning models. And even like, like I used, when I came on to SG, I used an audio service to produce all of the overlays on our marketing videos. Our phone system, our phone tree is actually generated by an AI voice. And like, it is so realistic. Everybody said, oh, is that your wife that did that? And I said, no, it's an AI thing. Like you could change it at any time. You just type it in and it changes the voice. And they were like, really? And I said, yeah, it's, it's a service. Like, you know, you just pay for it and it's done once. So I feel like there's now, it's happening very quickly and you have to figure out good ways to apply it. But I think no matter what, like it is coming. So we have to have process procedure and like conversations about it. Cause otherwise I think it's going to take over very quickly and people won't know what to do. Mm. Have you introduced it to your son yet? Has he seen it? No, I mean, he's, he knows about chat GPT and I've tried to like play with it a little bit, but I don't think he gets like, well, how's that different than asking Siri? And you're like, well, Siri was programmed. Like this thing's actually thinking of that answer on the fly. Like nobody told it to do this, you know, like it just figures it out and it, it isn't clicking for him. Like, you know, he's like, okay, like, you know, I'd rather just ask Siri or talk to Google. And you're like, yeah, I know Google turns the lights on and off. That's much cooler right now. But What's amazing to me, I have shown other people our age and I'm like, yeah, you know, like there's these business docs. I won't get into which ones because I'll probably get in trouble. But, you know, a lot of people will say like, how am I going to respond to this this fast? And I've said, well, have you thrown some of those things into chat GPT? Because like, who's actually looking at this stuff? And is it really important that like we wordsmith that versus just get an answer to put in, right? And a lot of this stuff is gatekeeper type stuff. And you start using it and people are like, that is an incredible idea. And they do it and then they submit it and the other business goes, this is so well written. And you go like, holy moly, like nobody actually knows what's in there, right? <laughs> so like it, it's a little scary, but it also is one of those things where it's like now you're starting to pull the busy work out of life. And that's what they promise, that it's, yeah. it's going to do the stuff that like you don't want to pay somebody to do anymore. Right, how do you think it's going to affect like the economy in that position more like jobs? Do you think it's going to displace a lot of individuals or is it more to enhance them to be able to do what they want to be doing versus the busy work like you mentioned? Exactly. Yeah, I think it's going to sharpen them. I, like for me, I watch Elon Musk and he's he's been very loud about like, be careful about AI. So that's serious to me because the guy's smart. He obviously knows a lot. And like if he's saying that and there's other people that are saying that, like you want to take that seriously, right? And he's gone as far as to like talk to presidencies about this. So obviously he's, he's got a strong opinion on it, right? And others do as well. I think from an economy perspective, like it's going to sharpen people and people get nervous with that because they go like, well, you know, my job's a lot of busy work. And you go like, well, maybe you're going to have to actually add value. Like, you know, that's going to be tough. And that's, you know, 
I know that's scary, but I think if you're in a position where you're adding value, you're comfortable in yourself, you're not afraid of what you do. And you, like, I think it's a lot of these people that might be sitting in a cubicle listening to uh, YouTube all day that go like, well, mm. what's going to happen to my job? And you're like, what were you doing before? You know? yeah. <laughs> but AI will make them much better because then they can pull all the busy work out and what they're good at, they're going to get even better at. That's what I think too. And it's honestly, what do you take the interest in? Well, now it used to take you a little bit longer to go and learn those new skills or familiarize yourself with the new technology or whatever the case may be. It's, it's at your fingertips now. Yeah, I mean, You can do it at a rapid speed. You mentioned earlier, documentation, RFP writing, you know, things come to mind first. And I actually had the first RFP that uh, the evaluator told me, they're like, I'm pretty sure this was written by ChatGPT. Exactly. <laughs> they just, they're starting to just put the responses of yeah. the vendors into ChatGPT yeah. to be like, you know, compare what they That's would put right. out. And so, yeah, people are starting to get smart. And plagiarism, I, I see it on LinkedIn all the time. They talk about it in ed- education and kids and, you know, how are they going to be using it? So, yeah. yeah you know what, though? I'll go back to something I told. Sorry to cut you off. I'll go back to something I told an English teacher in high school. And she was very mad at our class because no one in our class read a book that was our assignment. And we all did book reports on this book. And she could tell that everybody in the class had used like the cliff notes because we were missing certain pieces of the story and it just wasn't in there. So she was berating us in the class, rightfully so. I mean, we were cheating, right? Like we didn't want to read the book. (laughs) And she says to the whole class at one point, kind of angrily, she goes, why would you trust Cliff to read the book? And like, you know, why would you trust his notes? So I remember I piped up in the back and I just said, because he read the book. (laughs) And and like everybody died. And it's true. Like today you're like, well, why would you use ChatGPT? It's like, well, I don't know. He knows how to write it. You know, like he's got that info. I don't. Like it's going to take me forever to get there. So it's one of those same situations. It's like, yeah, maybe it's not great. But you know what? I didn't have any skill on that anyway before. So let, you know, at least it gives me a jumping point. Yeah, that's so funny. I can totally see that, you know, people that are abrasive to using it or maybe hesitant, those are the ones that are going to be left behind. You know, the ones that maybe you don't understand it fully. And, you know, there's so much that I'm still I'm about to sign up on a, a Coursera class as we speak. I got to pull it up because, you know, I want to get yeah. a little bit more well-versed in it. My company's using it every day. It's like, yeah. it's a part of our core competency. But well, me and do. myself, yeah, I have yeah. to get more well-versed into it. But it's scary. It's intimidating. I don't know where you would recommend people start if they're maybe not as technologically savvy as you. Like, where do you recommend? It's tough, man. Like, I think, you know, like you hear about these services like Skillshare and like those types of companies. Like, I feel like starting in some of those spots just to get a base understanding of how some of this stuff works is great. But unfortunately, I feel like if you're not a developer and you can't sift through the bowels of GitHub, to see what like where the bleeding edge of the of the AI tech is, it's really hard to get information on it because I feel like the information you're getting in certain cases is so outdated that it would almost be the equivalent of like learning Windows ninety five now, and then being like, yeah, I know Windows, and you're like, yeah, no, that's like it's very different, like it's come a long way. But the problem is like it's only been six months and it's changed. You know, it is really I, I sympathize with you, Brian, because like I know your your venture is all AI backed, and it's like you're going to have to have great AI people, you know, like I'm sure you're surrounded by guys that, that understand this and girls that understand this. They're coming out of school now that like their knowledge of it is on another level. Yeah. It's fun to talk to those individuals because they're just leaps and bounds ahead of you, especially the ones that have 
these new you know computer science degrees and machine learning and AI and and whatnot. It's fun, but that's I want to be able to hold you know a candle to what they're talking about and be able to understand it. So that's why I gotta gotta dive in a little bit deeper. One of the topics I was also curious to segue a little bit was obviously being in leadership. You've been you know the CTO now multiple times. How do you think about building company culture? Curious to hear from this remote world that we're living in. Things have changed now, especially with COVID. I'd like to hear your feedback. Look, I'm a huge company culture guy. Like to me, that's that's more important than mission statement is the, the culture that you build in a business. Because at the end of the day, I feel like great tech, great tools, you know, a lot of money behind you. If you don't have the right culture, it doesn't work, right? Like it's all about people. And I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan, and I believe it's all about why, right? Finding your why, understanding why you're doing something, what drives you, the people behind a business are so important. So for me, it's about finding the right culture. You know, again, I, I came on to SG. They have a great culture, right? Everything from the founder through the, the entry-level people, they want to help. There's a great attitude. And I feel like when you build a team with people like that, and that's the driving force, you have a lot less fear. You don't have the people hiding in cubicles watching YouTube, afraid for their jobs. You have people that are excited to say, hey, we're using AI. Tell me how. How did we use ChatGPT today? Right? Like to me, that's far better. So, like, my opinion on it is focus on culture, focus on people. And you can use technology to do that. So, like, one of the first things I did when I came on is they're an Office 365 house. I went on and I filled out my entire profile. In Office 365, there's like a thing called Delve that comes with Office. Nobody uses it, right? It's just one of those things. But that's where you put your picture. That's where you put a little bio. I threw it up there because I wanted people to kind of see and learn about me before I, I was talking. I'm also a remote employee. So it's, it's sort of, it's terrifying me that like I'm not in the office with them every day. But having those types of tools and being able to chat, like I do a ton of video now with, with people, it's great. And you get the sense of that culture. We went to the Christmas party in Nashville and I brought my wife down there and it was like we were always in the same room, you know, like we had the same conversations. We, were we had inside jokes already. So like it was very cool, but I feel like that's really important. And I think that extends beyond just your team. It's how you engage your vendors. It's how you engage your customers. The first real job I had was with a company called Creative Realities and the owner there had said, we want to be the people that you want to go have a beer with after. Initially, that sounds very cliche, but when you think about it, it was like, if you're trying to be that person, you're going to be honest with the person across the table, and you're not going to necessarily try to sell them on something when things are going wrong, right? Because things always go wrong. So it was kind of like a, a torch that I've seen over and over again passed down. I worked with a guy, Darren Maxwell. He's a, he's a great salesperson, and he was very much Simon Sinek fan, and we would get on at the bar till the wee hours of the night on why and all that kind of stuff. I just feel that the people that you see that are successful always have that mentality. And the ones that aren't are the guys that are fearful or the girls that are uncomfortable in their own skin. And it's because you haven't created an environment for those people to come out of their shells, you know? Yeah, that's, you got to let them feel comfortable being themselves and be able to empower them to have those conversations with you, with your team. And, you know, once people can let their guard down, I feel like that's when they can really do their best work because they're, they're vulnerable and they're willing to 
take chances and know that even if they make a mistake and fail, that you care about them as a person and right. you've invested the time to get to know them. And you want to create a safe place for them to like, if you have some really big ideas have flopped, you know, it's like, that's okay, but you got to enable them to think like that versus them worried that something's going to go wrong and they're hundred percent. Like I, I've, the reason I'm like, I'm kind of a, a horse's ass a little bit in the office because it's like, I'm very much like, if I make a mistake, I'll call myself out. Like I'll make fun of myself in front of all the people because I want them to understand that it's like, look, I'm human too. I'm not always right. Like, I want you guys to feel like that too. It's okay. If it goes wrong, just tell me, right. That's the same thing. I tell my son when we get back to that, it's like, you know, if you did something wrong or you saw something bad, tell me it's okay. I'm not going to be mad and freak out. Yeah, well, unfortunately, yeah, I think so many people have been used to that. And uh, it's, it's refreshing to hear that you're not. What about any frameworks that you type try to do in your environment? Like we're going through this OKRs, you know, at beginning of the year stuff and yeah. thinking about, you know, team goals and, you know, way to, to set the strategy for 2024. How do you approach that? So, again, I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek. So like the golden rings, like that's really important to me. That exercise for business is interesting. I'm not familiar. You should check it out. So Simon Sinek has a, a what about why type thing that he's he's built a whole brand on. And he's got this principles of, of golden rings. So you start with why and then you work out to the how and the what, and, you know, all of those things. So by doing that, it kind of forces people to get back to asking, why are we going to do this? So like in 2024, why would we go that way? Right. Why do we want to do that? Not what do we want the business to do? Because everybody's going to say, make a lot of money, right? We want to say, why? Why do we want to make a lot of money? Well, we want to hire a lot more people. Okay, so we want to grow in size, right? Versus that kind of thing. It, it gets you to different conversations by starting with that why. I'm also a huge fan of this idea. Apple uses it. It was in, it was in a book written about them, about inside out. So everybody publishes org charts, top down or left, right. They start with inside out. So the CEO is in the middle. And then you have branches that like a circuit board out from that. By looking at things inside out, it tends to make you think about them differently because now you can have things that used to end up on an org chart right next to each other on polar opposite ends of the spectrum. And you go like, oh, that works so much better. And that now thinking about it like that, it makes sense, right? So I like to look at that sometimes even with like a sales strategy. If you start with why we're doing something, and here's the item in the middle that we're really good at. Can we branch out from that? I actually did that with Cortec when I first started. You know, we were really good at, at field service. So field service was in the middle, and that was what the business was at its core. We built different things onto it by saying, like, well, what, what are our customers asking? Well, you know, we need to support the tech and we're not very good at that. We don't have a call center. It's like, okay, well, let's add a call center component on the outside of that. Well, we got to stage things and put them in a warehouse. Okay, let's look at a warehouse. And we built a bunch of things out from the center, but it always started with that, right? I'm doing the same thing at SG now. And as we look at it, you get to really interesting like ideas by doing that. But those two things are really important to me. Yeah, oh, man, I like that. You're going to have to let me know what book it was. I'll, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely get it to you. Yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of working backwards about uh, the Amazon principles and insights inside, you know, how they built it. And it's just fascinating, that whole working backwards concept. And, you know, there's just so many different strategic decisions and, and things that they did right, things that they did wrong, the way that they learned from them, how they improved upon them, and the processes that still today are so, you know, alive and thriving to be Amazonian, as they seem to call it. So, Well, and you're, you're in an awesome spot because you're, you're in startup mode, right? Like that's the most exciting time. 
I'm, it takes me so long, my wife. So we're doing this like 75 hard thing right now. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but anyways, you know, it's basically re- 10 pages a day is, is part of it. And my wife finishes it so quickly. And for me, it takes me so long. It's like 45 minutes to read 10 pages. She's like, why does it take you so long to read this? I'm like, I got my phone out. I'm writing notes. I'm like, oh, but then we could do this. And this is how we should apply this to our business. And oh, I can offer that to my customers. It's a great idea. And man, I never thought about it from that perspective. And so, you know, I've got two pages worth of notes and, you know, the book's all highlighted. And she's like, all right, I'm going to bed now. Never turn the light off. That's so funny. You should actually, you know, it's another good book that you would probably like too because, because of the situation you're in. There's one called Essentialism. And it's a, it's a really good book about like fine tuning that kind of stuff where you end up with like, you know, you've got all the things that you want to do and being able to really focus down to the essentials to say like, okay, let me get the stuff that we have to have. It was a really good book and I liked some of the visuals that were in there. Like uh, I'm, a, I'm a skimmer. Like I like to skim first and jump around in a book. And uh, they had a lot of cool like diagrams and things that were like, it really gets your gears turning to like, oh man, that's actually a really good idea. I should definitely like start to prioritize. Even the way I do my to-do list now, it's like that. Where like, I'll have the stuff that I have to do, the stuff that I want to do, and then the stuff that like we'd like to do. And it's amazing how like stuff will shift between them and the stuff that used to be on top is now on the bottom and you're going, no, it's not really essential. Man, I will definitely need to read that because especially at this stage, when you've got so many ideas, there's so many things that you want to bring to life in a startup, you've got to focus. You've got to have that blinders on to be able to build a really great product. And and then you can, like you said, have that be the core and then expand off of it. But something that I definitely need to take some feedback and advice on because I feel guilty of it for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're doing an awesome job. You mentioned uh, also... The to-do list, just a tactical nerd question, but like, how do you keep a to-do list? What do you use? Is it just like old school, write it down? Old school, write it down. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I use the Apple's reminders a little bit, but like, I'm really like a post-it note, like on my desk here, I've got like a thousand post-it notes out. I'm very much like disposable with stuff like that. Cause I feel like it changes so frequently. I'm mm. a pen and paper guy. I've even tried using like, you know, the e-ink notepads and things like that. And it's just like, it's super cool. But I always come back to like just pen, post-it, paper, note, notepads or something about holding it. Again, maybe it's because I was born in the 80s, that whole tech shaman thing. I've got the loincloth on when it comes to to-do lists. Like, <laughs> I'm the same way, man. I still like, I open up drawers and it's just notebooks, notebooks. Yep. <laughs> notebooks. So I finally got one of those, I think it was Remarkable too. or yeah, something. I have the name one. of it. Yeah, so I just got it and I haven't taken it out of the wrapper because I'm just like too afraid to actually give in and do it. I'm like, no, this notebook's not done yet. Like, let me wait for this one to be empty. Then I'll go try that out and see how it works. You'll have to let me know how you like it. I've, I had one for like six months. It's an awesome product, super product. I really like it. I was personally struggling because of just me. Like, I was just like, this is a me problem, not a product problem. Like, I need to be better to use this product. <laughs> Man, I feel you on that. So taking it back to the the parenting things a little bit, because I know that was what we first really connected on. How about for you as far as like, okay, you've got this tech shamanism at work. You, you've created that in like your, the branding that, you know, what you've been able to build from a network and community, but in the home, like what's your approach there to being able to kind of create that environment to be able to, you know, pass that in long. Maybe it's lessons that you learned from your parents that maybe have stuck out with you, but I'm just kind of fascinated how people are using what they learn at work and then 
having that integration. I don't like the word balance. I like the integration of work and life. No, I like that too. Like, it's not something I think about like actively, I guess, at at times. You know, I I grew up in a middle class household. Like, you know, we were Italian family. So we were very much like, you know, home hearth. Like, everybody's in the living room, right? Doing their things, watching the big TV. We sat around a kitchen table every night and we ate dinner and talked about stuff. So, like, I try to apply that as much as I can. I mean, obviously, things change, right? So, like, we're in front of the TV a lot more, we have devices out. But I'm definitely one to try to simplify stuff. So like a lot of people come over my house and they're really disappointed because they go like, man, I thought you'd have like the best surround sound and like lights everywhere and like it's nuts. And they come in and it's just like, nah, I've got a monitor and a computer. Like, you know, we have that. So it's like I try to simplify it as much as I can. I'm a minimalist in that in that respect. But the stuff that I have is really near and dear to my heart. So what you'll find, a lot of people find they're like, you have really expensive tech. And it's like, well, yeah, because if I'm going to spend the money on something, I want something great and I want it for that purpose. But if, again, like I'm not the guy on Amazon just buying everything because I, when I have those little stents, because everybody does it, you end up returning it or throwing away or like, you know, like you don't, you don't use it because it's like, "Eh, this thing's kind of trash. So I found that I try to simplify And like, even just the whole shaman thing here, like, again, I always come back to communication and just, you know, trying to make it magical. So like we do a lot of STEM stuff at home. He's really into the Mark Rober science kits that they mail Mm -hmm. to your house and you do them, like you watch a YouTube video and then you do the the project. So we do them together in a lot of cases. It's super cool because it teaches them a science lesson and then they use their hands to build something. And it's like a game or a toy or they've been cool. And like I've had my nephews and and stuff over and they like them. So now they're on it. I also had an erector set from when I was a kid that I just gave my son the other day. And like he's super into that now. So it's like, you know, I'm not afraid to look at stuff that you have to do with your hands. The other thing that I, I think the last thing I would bring up, like in that same respect, like shamanism is the ability to fix stuff and not treat everything as disposable. Because I feel like you know, if you look at these tribes, right, like they use everything. If you kill an animal, nothing goes to waste. Like everything either becomes clothing, food, spices, everything. Like they, they use, they'll have teeth or jewelry, right? Like it's one of those like things you just don't waste, right? So I try to do that as much as I can here. And I try to fix things as much as I can, maybe to a fault sometimes. <laughs> like I'm the guy with the broken stuff because it's like, I'm trying to fix it and like just hire somebody. So yeah. But I, I try to get that across because I feel like I actually saw a YouTube video. It was an old, old man, definitely, you know, baby boomer, or maybe even older. And he said he was raising children. If a toy would break, the kid would bring it to him and he'd go, you know, my toy broke. And then he would go, okay, well, we're going to throw it away. And they go, no, 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 no. I don't want to throw it away. He's like, well, it's broken. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, can you fix it? And he's like, well, I can't fix it, but we can fix it. Do you want to fix it? And they go, no. And he goes, okay, we're going to throw it away. And the kid would come back and go, no, 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 I don't want to throw it away. And he's like, so then maybe we can fix it. And they're like, okay, let's fix it. And he's like, if you teach the kids to want to fix it, otherwise the alternative is you won't have it, they're going to want to fix it. But if you just keep fixing it for them yourself or tossing it and buying another one, you're training that generation to just be like, well, if it's broke, we're not going to spend the time on it. It's cheaper to get one off Amazon. Don't do that. And I find that my son now working with his hands, like I love the fact that he's fixing things and it makes him appreciate things a little more. And I see a lot of kids actually in town that do that. And the ones that are fixing things and that appreciate their their toys and that, you know, they're interested in how things work 
just better. I feel like better emotionally. Like they're not so detached. Man, I'm gonna have to steal that because there's definitely, you know, those times that they'll bring the the toy to you and it's broken and they just want you to fix it and fix it. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's just faster for you just to fix it. A hundred percent. I find yeah. that at work too, right? Like think about work, right? You're in startup mode. How many times do employees come in and say, "I've got a problem," and they tell you this whole long problem? And there were times that I would just give them the right answer. And it's the same mentality, right? Like, don't give them the answer, make them get it themselves and say, look, we'll come to the answers, but I'm going to ask you a lot of questions and make it uncomfortable so that you can get to that answer so that you don't come back to me with it. And I used to say to people all the time, you know, when I hire you, if you got a question, ask me any question, no stupid question. I'll spend the time to make sure you get it. Even if I have to stay late. Ask me the same question twice, no problem. Happy to walk through it again. You ask me the same question three times, I'm going to wonder what the hell you did the first two times. And it created a culture of like, okay, we're having a conversation. I'm going to write this down. And mm. like they want to fix things, right? Otherwise, I'll just go to daddy to get the answer. And you're like, I'm not your dad. Like, this is a business, you know? Yeah. Man, there was one that was always drilled into my head. It's, it was, what do you think you should do? Yeah. Great. You've got a problem. Now, what do you think you should do? Right, exactly. And and they, you know, that always stuck with me. And and I'm sure like when I say that if any of my old, you know, coworkers or, or employees are listening, they probably have horror, nightmares still because I said that yeah. so often to people. But it's what it took for me for it to resonate with me. It's like, man, if you come to the boss, the leader, your parents, whoever it is with a problem and you didn't think through potential solutions, then you know, you're just asking somebody to do your, live your life for you, you know, you try to take it into your own hands. And it took me a long time to learn that skill of like, if I had a problem and before I wanted to go ask somebody, I'd think, well, what do you think I should do? And what are the three solutions that I've come up with? And then I bounce those or have my employees bounce that off me. And then we can actually have a fun, engaging strategic conversation versus just fixing the problem. You're never going to teach somebody how to be able to progress. I used to tell people all the time, they'd come at the office, they'd ask a hard question, we kind of get through it. And then once the mood was a little lighter, I'd be like, you got that sense that like, you just want to go find an adult? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And you're like, doesn't it suck that we're the adults? <laughs> like, you always have that sense where it's like, I just want my mom, man. Like, where? how come I can't do this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying to grow up, man. It's terrifying. I know. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying and it's... uh also so exciting to be able to it think is. that like now that is on us as you know parents to, it's scary because you know people depend on you at a level that you're never you know used to or accustomed to but um when you have to think about yeah how do you instill the right mentality it's such a big responsibility so heavy and you want to be that crutch and, you know my mom was great at doing whatever i needed her to get done she'd do That's it right. for me but i think at some points you know it probably hurt me a little bit because i was just so dependent upon that and now i want to be aware of like am i doing too much yeah. for them yeah no 100% there's just like this balance and it kills you sometimes to have to like you know not just be the pacifier. I feel like it's so hard because you look at them, even even like, you know, even if it's not your kid, it's like a family member or an employee. Like you have the one person that you probably love at work and you're watching them struggle and you just go like, man, if I walk in there and fix this, they will never get this. Like it's such like tough love, right? Like you start to learn what that really means. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an easy skill. <laughs> That's no, for sure. No way. I'm still working on it. Yeah. I think it'll be forever something we have to work on. Well, man, this was awesome. I appreciate you coming on and just to get to know you a little bit more, hear your perspective on a lot of these things that are top of mind for us. Anything else that you feel like we should have discussed that maybe I didn't bring up that you're super excited about or, or things you're working on now? 
No, I think I think you got it, man. Like, you know, there's so much exciting technology out there. I, I think the for me, I want people to be excited and curious and like, you know, ask questions and connect and not be so afraid to talk to one another. I was really excited coming on here because you, you know, you're you're like so personable and like you've got a great take on things. I even love like what your company's doing. Like I think it's so important for people to have these conversations. When you started bringing up kids and family and things like that, I was I was sold because I feel like the way the world is right now, the way the news is, especially here in America, people are afraid to connect with one another. Like they're just so afraid to talk. And it's like, listen, if we can talk, we can get through anything. We'll figure it out. You'll find your tribe. So I really appreciate you having me on here, man. This is great. Like I was super excited and I can't wait to see what comes out of it. Oh, well, I appreciate it, man. And, and likewise, it was just, you can tell when you connect with somebody and you're just like, I got to get this person out to more of my friends, more out yeah. to the world because they've got this energy, this positivity, this aura about them. And I know somebody's going to learn, even if it's just a bite-sized nugget of ways that they can take. Uh, I know there's a couple that I took away that I'm going to steal from you. So uh, <laughs> great to connect, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be talking more. Whenever I come out to Jersey, I'll be sure to hit you up. A hundred percent. We'll grab a beer. <laughs> Uh, I just got to wait till March, so it'll be soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too cold. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. You bet.